this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study in 1 Peter. Uh, the title of the message is Armed and Ready. So um, for those of you who were not with us last week, um, I'm going to give a real quick recap because I'm going to be referencing a lot of the points from last week in this week's message. So um, just to keep you from wondering what in the world I'm talking about, um, I'm going to just give you kind of the main points. Um, also, though, on a side note, if you ever do uh, miss Sunday, um, our messages are put online. They're um, on our website. They're usually uploaded um, by Wednesday morning. So if you are driving around and you want to stream the message, you can catch up that way. And um, I give a lot more definition than this recap is going to have. All right. <laughs> Last week uh, in First Peter, we looked at how we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Um, in Peter's instructions in chapter 3, he laid out for us the ingredients to what we called uh, the gospel sandwich or a good news sandwich. He sandwiched the meat of the gospel between a top bun of our life on display and a bottom bun of sharing with gentleness and respect. And this top bun of our life on display um, had two parts. One of them was our attitudes and behaviors that, that someone who has hope in Christ um, shows. And then also the second part is um, that we are openly Christian, that even when we're not explaining our faith specifically, um, we're, we're open, we're talking about uh, the things that we do, the activities that we have, the, the, the topics that we have on our mind that have to do with our faith. We don't compartmentalize those, but we're open with them wherever we go. Um, so with uh, that's the top bun, is our life on display, um, the good news or the gospel or our hope, that's the, that's the meat. And then the bottom bun is sharing the message with uh, gentleness and respect. So today we're going to continue our study in 1 Peter, and we're going to start at chapter, ver, chapter, ver, chapter 4, verse 1, where Peter is encouraging us to have an attitude. In fact, we are supposed to have an attitude, um, not just have an attitude, but we're supposed to arm ourselves with an attitude. Um, we're supposed to arm ourselves with it as if it's some sort of battle gear, gear that we have to strap on. And the reason why we do that is because he says that uh, we're going to undergo some attacks as we go through life. There's, we're bound to experience some attacks as we go through this life, living openly as Christians in a culture that is hostile to Christianity. So before we dig into it, uh, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that, um, that you are worthy, Lord, that you're worthy of our life, that you're worthy of, of our surrender, Lord. Oh, we thank you that, uh, that you have a great reward for us in heaven, Lord. And, it, and I thank you that you prepare us. You give us your word so that we don't have to go into this life blind, Lord, but you give us instructions and you give us encouragements so that we can go through this life with strength and power and hope. We just ask you'd fill us with those today as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Last week, we talked about being ready to give a reason for our faith. And I gave some ideas of some things that we could do to be a little bit more prepared to have the words that, that, we, 
that we want to say in our mind, or even just to get more comfortable just speaking our faith. Today, um, Peter is saying that as we bring this gospel sandwich to the world, and we're displaying this God-honoring life and sharing the reason that we have for hope, um, we also have to be ready to experience some suffering. And uh, to get ready, we need to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had. So, what was Christ's attitude? What was it that drove him to endure the cross? Christ's attitude, first part, is um, complete loving surrender to the Father's will. Uh, we know from a physical standpoint, Jesus did not want to endure the cross. Luke 22, when Jesus was in the garden, the night he was arrested, he was sweating blood and he prayed to the Father and he said in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Even though the thought of suffering was agonizing, he held God's will as higher and his plan as higher than even the shame and suffering of the cross. The second part of Christ's attitude was he had his mind fixed on the eternal reward rather than on temporary suffering. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The last verse um, of chapter 3, our last verse from last week, said, Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in a place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers except his authority. Jesus fixed his eyes on what was beyond the momentary suffering. His reason was for, for coming was to seek and save the lost. John 17, 24, um, Jesus displayed this heart's desire by praying, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all of the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus' reward was that we would be saved and that he would be restored to a place of honor and glory with the Father in heaven. And, and John, we get to see kind of a picture um, as John describes this in Revelation of what this victorious, um, glorious, honored Jesus looks like. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 says, When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like, a, like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance." This is just a glimpse of the glory that awaited Jesus that outweighed any of the suffering that he was going to endure. And he continues, as we think about the, the, him coming to seek and save the lost, uh, we see as we continue that he, he's also saved us and received that glory. 
When, we, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid out his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus holds the keys of death and the grave so we don't have to fear. The battle for our souls have been won. His desire for us to be with him in heaven has been fulfilled. The locks that would have separated us are now open gates in Christ, and he has set the captives free. Amen? Amen. Amen. It says, when, when it said, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, that was the joy that was in his mind. That picture in Revelation of receiving his glory and honor and, and holding the, the keys for his children to be with him in heaven. That was the joy that was on his mind that he was armed with as he endured the cross. So as we attempt to arm ourselves with the same attitude, we have to remember, again, 1 Peter chapter 1, we've referenced back this, to this quite a few times, but we also have a hope that's not of this world, and we have a reward that is secured for us, and God is protecting us so that someday we will receive that reward. Jesus valued the honor and glory awaiting him in heaven above the shame and ridicule of the cross. He demonstrated to us that uh, having the whole world think badly of you now is nothing in comparison to having the Father think highly of you or to think favorably of you on the day of judgment when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. First uh, Peter 1 7 says that when you when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. With our minds armed with the attitude of joy in pleasing the Father and joy in our hope in heaven, Peter expands on the suffering that we may endure living as Christians in a foreign world. Um, and, and we are to be armed and ready with this knowledge um, so that we can stand up under it. So he, he mentions four different areas that we may experience suffering. First was physical attacks. Second is self-denial. Third, loneliness and exclusion. And fourth, verbal attacks. So we're going to start um, with First Peter four, the second part. Actually, we're going to go First uh, Peter four one through one through four. Uh, sorry, I have this wrong in my notes. I just remember that First Peter four one through four is correct, though. All right. Uh, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust and feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. All right, so... We're going to break that down. It, it's the first suffering mentioned was physical suffering. It says, 
For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. So we talked about this when we first started 1 Peter. Um, in this time and place, when this book was written, or this letter was written, um, there was a real chance that the Christians of that day would endure physical pain, torture, and even death for their faith. We've already talked about how Nero falsely accused them of starting a fire in Rome, uh, a fire which he most likely was the one who started. He brutally killed Christians, and he even put their bodies on display. This was a dangerous time for Christians, and they needed to be prepared to endure suffering without losing faith. Um, last week, I, I'm, we talked a little bit about apologetics, and uh, I've always felt like one of the most compelling arguments when it comes to um, explaining your faith or, or providing proof of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the fact that the apostles experienced beatings, and most of them uh, were met death in a violent way because of their faith, because they were not willing to renounce their faith in Christ. Um, as we look through them, Peter and Paul both martyred in Rome around 66 AD during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Um, Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas, according to ancient Christians in East India, he died being pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Philip in Asia, Asia Minor, um, he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul, um, and in retaliation, the proconsul had him arrested and cruelly put to death. Um, Matthew ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Some reports say that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew, um, there are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel. James, um, the Jewish historian Josephus, reported that he was stoned to death, stoned and then clubbed to death. Um, Simon the Zealot ministered in Persia, and he was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias um, was put to death in Syria by burning. John, the only one of the apostle, apostles generally thought not to have been um, martyred, um, lived to old age, um, but according to an early Latin tradition, um, he escaped unhurt after being cast into um, boiling oil. If anyone knew if Jesus was truly the Son of God and had truly risen from the dead, it was these men, right? They were not fooled into believing these truths by persuasive speech. Most of them actually saw Jesus captured. They saw him crucified. They saw him buried, and they saw him alive again. And they watched him ascend into heaven. If this was a story of their own concoction, something that uh, they maybe thought that they would get fame and fortune from, None of them would have lived a life of suffering and held on to a story or a lie unto death. Who would die for something that they knew was not true? The apostles had no doubt in the message that they carried. They were armed with the same attitude as Christ, a complete loving surrender to the will of God, and a hope fixed on the reward of eternity with him. We praise God that in this nation, uh, we're blessed to not have to endure that kind of suffering. Um, there's still places in the world where there are Christians that are experiencing physical t attacks and even death for holding to their faith. Uh, we pray that God will protect this nation 
and we use whatever influence that we have to do good, to, to influence um, this country so that that will never happen here. Um, but we have to be prepared uh, and armed with that same attitude of Christ in case that day would ever come. Uh, the second area of suffering is self-denial. 1 Peter 4, 2 through 3 says, You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. If you are prepared to die for him, then you should be prepared to live for him. The big difference between uh, suffering physical attacks or having to experience the suffering of dying to ourself is that we have to come face to face with this one every day. We all have our own desires and the world is full of pleasures of food and fun and folly. And with each passing year, it seems that they're made to look even more attractive than the year before. Not just more attractive, but also more accepted. Sinful, selfish, and overindulgent behavior is promoted in music, in movies, and on social media. Chasing after whatever you desire is considered your right as a human being. And even if it's likely to result in sickness or depression or even death, you're still being encouraged to follow your desire. The, the world is going crazy and they've gone off the playbook that God laid out for them. Following our impulses and cravings can look very attractive. When we see pictures or movies where there's, there's parties or we hear people tell stories about parties, there's laughter and smiling faces and, and everybody seems to be having a lot of fun. But what is the end result of a life that's focused on sin and selfish indulgence? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? Um, I heard this analogy this last week. It, it made me think of, of, of uh, he was talking about it, our life as a coin, and it made me think about um, what that might look like as we invest our life. Um, if you have a coin or if you have a certain amount of money, you have a few different options of what you can do with it. Uh, you can hide it. You can do nothing with it. You can hide it. You can put it on your nightstand. You can stick it in your mattress. You can just let it sit there. Um, at best, at the end of your life, um, if it's not damaged, stolen, or lost, um, it's, it's at least going to be worth less as everything else around seems to be going up in price. Um, the next option you have is that you could spend it on whatever you want, whatever your heart desires, and eventually it's all used up. All of the, the food and the, the entertainment and the, the new, new, exciting, shiny thing that you bought, um, you know, they're gone. The, the food is gone. The entertainment is, is just a memory. And that, that new, shiny, exciting thing, it's, it's no longer exciting. It's no longer new. And most likely, it's no longer shiny. So the last thing that we can do is we can invest. We can invest it. And we, um, and we can make it grow and we can use it so they can provide for the needs of ourselves and for our families for years to come. Um, that investing uh, could be uh, putting it in a portfolio where it gains interest. It could be buying a home, but it could be as simple as um, buying the necessities you need. If you don't have a car, you can't get to work. 
If you, if you don't buy some food to eat, uh, you're, you're not going to be alive. You're not going to have the strength and energy to go and do work. So th those are ways that we invest our money so that we can continue to earn money so that we can continue to live. Uh, most of us here probably do a mixture of those things. Um, but the most important is to invest it. Otherwise, we will run out. So our lives are, are like that money, but they're more valuable, and there's even more potential. No matter how we invest our money, when we die, it's not going to go with us beyond the grave. We could take it all, and we could have it. Well, we can't, but somebody else could take it, and they could stuff our coffin full of it, but that's as far as it's going to go. Um, Peter says, if you arm yourself with the same attitude as Christ, you are finished wasting your life in sin. He says in 1 Peter 2, you won't spend the rest of your life, won't spend it like you spend money, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires. Instead, we're willing, not just willing, but we are anxious to do the will of God. We're anxious to invest our lives in pleasing God rather than ourselves because he is our only real hope. We know that if we invest our lives in sinful pleasures, the result is death. But if we invest our lives in the kingdom of God, our reward will be, there's quite a list, so get ready. Our reward will be an eternal, glorious, amazing, joy-filled, peace-filled life in heaven with God and with an amazing assortment of angelic beings on streets of gold with crystal seas, the likes of which the billionaires of earth can only dream of. This is an opportunity that we can't afford to miss, right? If you're talking about investing, this is it. You got to get in on this one. All right. So with all that in mind, when, we're, when we have this, this thought of this, this hope and this joy and this reward that we have in heaven with God, um, it kind of makes it hard to even remember that we were talking about suffering. But that's kind of the point, right? That's kind of the point. Um, continuing uh, on in verse 4, we do have two more uh, areas of suffering that we need to be armed and ready for. Um, so we need to be armed with amazing hope that that we just uh, that we just visited there. Continuing in verse four, uh, it says, "Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do." When it says former friends here, it's talking about just people in general that uh, that are engaged in the activities that were listed in verse three. Um, they're listed um, immorality and lust and feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, worshiping of idols. Um, people who are focused on those things, they think it's strange when you don't engage in the things that they love, the things that they think that life is all about. They think that's pretty strange. If they have not received the good news, um, they can't understand the value of how we are investing our lives. So some of them may notice our strange lives. They may notice that top bun. Um, they may ask us about it. Um, maybe they say, uh, why don't you ever come out with us on Friday nights? You know, or uh, why don't you look at pornography? Or why don't you look at the, that girl that we all stopped and stared by at as the, she was walking by? Um, well, using the bottom bun of gentleness and respect, um, 
we, we try and share with them that it's because we love God and because um, he says that we shouldn't participate in immorality and lust or that we shouldn't participate in drunkenness and wild parties. And we explain that he has a better plan for us that offers more joy and, open, and, and an amazing future. Now, when they hear this reason, when they hear you explain the faith that you have, um, there's a chance that they'll want to hear more and that you'll be able to tell them about Jesus and they'll be able to, to start down uh, the path of a relationship with Jesus and have, a, have that same hope that we have. But there's also a chance that they're going to be offended because you told them what they're doing is bad. Or they may just think that you're stupid. Or both. But we have to be prepared to suffer the loss of friends as a result of professing our faith. There may be times um, that because of the way you spend your life, you feel like you don't fit in. You feel like um, you just don't have anything in common with these people. Or maybe they just don't ever seem to want to hang out with you because they maybe feel guilty because they know you don't agree with them. Or maybe they just know you're not, you don't have the same interests that they have. Um, you might not connect with people at work. You might not connect with even your relatives or even some of your old friends. Um, and that may hurt because you want to feel part of those groups. You want to feel accepted by those people. And um, Jesus knows what that's like. And he's, he's going to be with us during those times. Jesus suffered the most extreme loneliness and exclusion that anybody can imagine. And it, and it turned on a dime. Uh, you know, he, uh, he went from a triumphal entry where the streets were lined with people celebrating him and praising him to less than a week later standing before Pilate without a friend in sight with people yelling, crucify him. He endured the shame of abandonment to obey the will of the Father and for the joy of the glory that was to come. And with that same attitude, we are armed and we are ready to suffer for the glory of God. The last suffering, it says that we should prepare, prepare to suffer insults. Um, four, the, the end of the verse 4 says, so they slander you because you don't, in, in, you don't go in with the things that they do because you don't participate with the stuff that they love. They slander you. A while back, <clears throat> we talked about cancel culture. Uh, we talked about how in... Um, in the cancel culture that exists today, one of the main ways that they try and cancel you is um, by trying to slander you and label you with the most disgusting names that they can think of. Um, there are many in the world today that have de departed so far from the Word of God and from God's plan for humanity that if they even hear that you are a Christian, uh, they will immediately label you as a hateful person, even when the exact opposite is true. Peter encourages us in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 how to prepare for this. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. And then uh, it says in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Don't repay evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. We are likely to experience insults and slander against us for the sake of the gospel. 
But with the same attitude as Christ, we submit to the Father's will and put our hope in the reward that is to come. When we refrain from retaliating and we show love, the slanderer will be silenced and we will receive the blessing of God. So whether it's physical suffering, denying self, loneliness, or exclusion, um, or whether it's insults, Jesus experienced them all and was able to endure them because of the joy awaiting him, and we have that same joy awaiting us. We're going to move, uh, move on to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, and uh, we'll move out of the, the talk of suffering a little bit, and it says, but remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. Although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Um, so verse 6 is referring to something that we talked about last week. Um, he mentioned how Jesus, when his body was in the grave, um, he went to where the, the, the lost, the, the, the people who had died basically from the beginning of creation up until the time of his crucifixion, he went and proclaimed the good news to them, um, that he was the coming Messiah, that he had died, that he'd won the victory, and he led those who were waiting for him, who had died with their hope in the coming Messiah, he led them to heaven. And uh, it's just amazing. Even under the old covenant, there was no way to the Father but through Jesus. They had to wait. And, and uh, today... Jesus has opened the door for us. There's no waiting, but Jesus from the beginning of time until now was the only way to the Father. So now for those who are still living, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and those who are enemies of Christ, those who are enemies of the church, uh, his body, they'll have to face him. But when we read verse 5, um, the fact that they have to face him and be ready to stand judgment, this is not a gotcha verse about they're going to get what they deserve. We have to remember that we're not getting what we deserved, you know. Um, but rather, we need to remember that we need to be active in proclaiming the good news that they might also be saved. I'm going to have the worship team make their way up. Um, 1 Peter 4, 7-11 through 11 says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need, those who need a meal or, place, or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you? Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all of the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. As the end draws near, the Bible makes it clear that sin and darkness are going to increase and that with it, so will suffering and persecution. We should expect that as sin increases, we're going to experience 
more insults, more attacks, more suffering. In order for us to stay strong, Peter offers in this section of verses, he gives us three pillars that can help us stand underneath of it. First, he says, <clears throat> he says to be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So um, when we look back at the garden, we talked about how Jesus was there the night he was arrested. Um, when he was praying, it says that an angel appeared to him, strengthening him. When we pray to God in faith, um, it's not that God is necessarily going to change our circumstances. Christ still endured the cross. But God will give us the strength to endure it. Uh, the Bible even says that, that you know, he endured it for the joy that was awaiting him. There was even beneath the, beneath the suffering, there was a joy, there was a hope that went, um, that extended beyond the suffering. He knew the suffering was momentary, but there's a joy that extends beyond it. The second thing he says is to love each other. Um, verse 8 says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this doesn't mean that if you love a lot, that you'll be forgiven. I mean, that your sins aren't covered because of your love. It means that when you love each other, you overlook their sins. You overlook their faults. And we love them the same way that Jesus loved us when he overlooked our faults. The third thing, he says, is to serve those in need. So whether this is sharing a meal or whether it's sharing our faith, it's God's desire that we show love to others, not just by looking past their fault, but that we invest our lives, that we invest our time, that we invest our energy to help those who are in need. That's how we know that the love that he's put in us and the love that we have for others is real, if we'll actually expend our lives in serving others. And whatever you do, whether, um, whether it's, it's sharing a meal, whether it's, it's helping somebody get their car unstuck from alongside the road, um, everything we do, we do through Jesus and for the glory of God. We can't take any credit for it. God's given us um, life. God's given us strength. God's given us um, all the talents that we have. So all of the praise for any of the good that we do goes right back to him. And so with that in mind, let's stand, let's sing, and let's give glory to God for all that he's done and all the abilities he's given us to show his love to the world. As we sing these songs of worship, I can't help but um, think again of the picture of, of you glorified, um, to think of the, the descriptions that are given of heaven and the reward that we have to come to think of uh, the fact that you're the creator of the universe and that we get to spend eternity with you. It's just such an amazing, uh, it, it's, it's unfathomable. It, we are so unworthy and undeserving uh, to be given so much. And we are just, just filled with grateful hearts, with uh, hearts of thanksgiving. Uh, Peter summarizes this message in the, pretty well in the next few verses, so I'm going to let him mostly close as we look at uh, 1 Peter 4, chapter 12, or 1 Peter 4, verse 12. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised 
at the fiery trials you are going to going through as something strange were happening to you instead be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when is revealed to all the world if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of god rests upon you if you suffer however it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying in other people's affairs but it is no shame to suffer for being a christian praise god for the privilege of being called by his name i don't know what sufferings or hardships are in store for our future but we need not fear in fact we are encouraged to rejoice for the suffering that we endure here pales in comparison to the reward of heaven so be armed and be ready with loving surrender to god's will and the joy of heaven in our hearts and go in the power of the holy spirit sharing the good news of jesus christ to bring glory to god Amen. Amen.